Hello, dental online trainers. This is Dr. Dennis Hartley. Welcome to another episode of DOT Sharecast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Hello, dental online trainers. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb, and here I am in my COVID bunker, i.e. my basement, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Dental Online Training Sharecast. Now, Sharecast, uh, some of you may be wondering if you haven't been part of this before, what is a Sharecast? Well, let me tell you, I have a long commute to my practice every day down to uh, the suburbs of Chicago, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love podcasts. What I like about, about podcasts, the ones that I listen to, is I want to be informed, but I also want to be entertained. And what I've decided to do with, this, uh, with our DOT Sharecast is that I want to make sure that we are sharing with you valuable information, information that you can use on a daily basis, information you can use in your practice, and information that you can use in your life. Now, I'm going to be interviewing people or sharing conversations with dentists like Dr. Paul Homily today and some non-dentists. But I wanna assure you that the information that we're gonna be sharing today is from knowledge and experience that we've gained sometimes over decades that you can use in your practice literally immediately. Now, one of the challenges I think as we're working through this post-COVID time era is that how do we get back into treating our patients? And I, I'm eager to uh, speak with Paul today because he's going to give us some insights on how we need to think about dentistry in this sort of COVID or post-COVID era. So before I ask Paul to tell a little bit about himself, I want to tell you a little background with Paul. And by the way, hi, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Dennis. Good to be here. I'm in my bunker, too. <laughs> I tell you, I, you know, people, I think all of us have sort of found our bunkers wherever they are in the right. house so that we can have a little, little space that we need. Now, Paul, I remember first seeing you at the Chicago Midwinter meeting uh, okay. several, several years ago. Many years. Was, yes. Many years ago. And I will tell you, when I saw you, literally, I was like, wow, this is a guy who gets it. This is a guy who is practicing dentistry at a high level. And you're going to talk about that, some of your experience. And you, were, you got it. You understood what it was like to have to manage our patients, right? Doing high-end dentistry, but also had to manage a practice, had to be a leader for the team, had to um, work on communication with patients so that they wanted to do the dentistry that you wanted to do for them. I will tell you, Paul, I think that you're one of the few people in dentistry who have that experience who was a high-end clinician and then has gone in and taught us how to be able to talk to our patients and talk to our team to help them understand what we need to help do to help them with their dentistry. So I want to thank you for sort of going through those battles and now sharing with <laughs> dentists literally around the world your experiences and how do we get to help the patients that we want to serve. Yeah. So Paul, thank you for joining us today. And I want to, if you would, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you're a Chicago guy, and you can even yes. still hear it in your voice. I mean, yes. I know you've been away from Chicago forever, but you still have that Chicago um, accent. So share with us a little bit about you and your background and how you got into dentistry and all that. You know, Dennis, Chicago is my favorite city. I've been around the world. I've been in a lot of great cities. I live near Scottsdale, Arizona right now. But Chicago, between Memorial Day and Labor Day, Chicago is the place to be. <laughs> yeah, you that's know, the truth. Chicago pizza, Portillo's Italian beef sandwiches, come on. 
Uh, I graduated University of Illinois, downtown Chicago in 1975, went right into the United States Navy, Dennis. One of the best moves I ever made. I went to Cherry Point, North Carolina, the Marine Corps Air Station there. Lou Muldrow was my commanding officer. We had 14 dental officers. He put me in the Department of Oral Surgery. Dr. Mel Davis was the base oral surgeon. He was actually an advanced general dentist who the Navy had trained in oral surgery. And for two, for two years, Dennis, um, Mel trained me in third molar extractions and we did, I did hundreds of them and assisted Mel in the operating room. When I got out of the Navy, I had a real strong experience with dental alveolar surgery, hemostasis, pain control, access, all of that stuff. I went, opened my first practice in a little country town called Spruce Pine, North Carolina, up in the Blue Ridge Mountains. <laughs> I, I immediately enrolled in the LD Pankey Institute. I also enrolled in the Dawson Academy. Gave, okay. gave me a real sound um, foundation of occlusion. In 1979, um, actually, let me back up a year. In 1978, I placed my first dental implant. That's crazy. See, yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, but, but when you think about it, hey, I had two years of surgical training, mm -hmm. right? Taking out an th impacted third molar, horizontal full bone impaction is a heck of a lot more difficult than placing a dental implant. Sure, yeah, I think everyone would agree with that. Oh, there's no question about it. So I placed my first dental implant in 1978. I did it in the office of Dr. Harold Robbins. He practiced in Port Charlotte, Florida. He was my initial mentor. Uh, shortly after that, I met Dr. Carl Mish. He and I became best friends, and Carl and his brother Craig and about four or five other faculty members, we all kind of pitched in and helped Carl launch the Mish International Implant Institute. Mm -hmm. 1979, Dennis, 1979, you remember, it became legal and ethical for dentists to market directly to the public. Yeah, that was very controversial. I mean, that was quite a big deal. It was a real big deal. I jumped right on implant dentistry, something to smile about, you know, newspaper ads and brochures and all that. So it was, uh, <laughs> I, I, and I was a troublemaker, Dennis, to tell you the truth. I didn't try to create trouble, but come on, think about it. I was a Yankee Catholic practicing in Hildebrand, North Carolina, a little, a little Bible Belt town. That's yeah, that yeah. was strike number one. Strike number two, I was doing dental implants. Like who in the mind, right mind would be doing dental implants? For sure. And, and, and number three, I was advertising for it. So consequently, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of dentists just got sideways. But you know, Dennis, I don't regret a thing because I practiced for 20 years and I tell you, I loved what I did. By 1983, my practice was exclusive to implant and reconstructive dentistry. I continued, I went through all the curriculums at Pankey, all the curriculums at Dawson, um, got involved with Carl Misch, um, taught surgery and prosthetics with Carl for about 10 years, and um, ended up um, speaking um, about implant reconstructive dentistry. I basically did the, all the A-circuit meetings and all that. I think that's when, I don't know if that's when you saw me. I think you saw me after I retired from practice. That's correct. And so, okay. you know, you brought up some really interesting names there, Paul, and this is going to lead us into our conversation today. Uh, but the first thing that you brought up was the, uh, the Pinky Institute. Right. And I'm curious, so um, when you, how did you get, how did you learn about the Pinky Institute? Because, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about complete dentistry and comprehensive care today. Right. Um, so you, you got your feet into that immediately when you got out of the Navy. How did you know about that? 
a, a local orthodontist, Dr. Garlitz, the local orthodontist. He came and bought me lunch because he wanted my referrals. And mm -hmm. he says, Homily, the best thing you can do is go to the Panky Institute. And here's Dr. Garlitz. He's driving a nice car. He's got nice suits. And he had like 15 pretty girls who worked for him. I'm thinking, I got to be nuts not to listen to this guy. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I just did it. I just did it. Pure, I borrowed the money. I borrowed the money. And I went through all sessions, flew down to, that was when they were in, uh, where were they? Um, oh, not Key Biscayne. It was before Key Biscayne. They were in Miami, I think. The, um, oh, I forget the name of the hotel there. But it was, that's when L.D. Panky was still alive, Dr. Anderson, Dr. Tanner. Um, mm -hmm. Fantastic. And they really, you know how it is, Dennis, you go there and they just open your eyes to things. And I right. came back and I did study models, face bows. I bought a, a GE Panelips X-ray. It was like the highest tech thing. I had Dennis come to my office just to look at the Panelips X-ray. Oh, how fun. You know, so um, it was, um, it was terrific. 1995, 20 years after I started practice tennis. By now I had moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, built a 4,500 square foot facility. I built a commercial dental laboratory. I was teaching other dentists how to market their practice. Mm -hmm. Making good money, Dennis. I'm telling you, it was good. And uh, I woke up one day in my right eye, the lateral rectus muscle had ruptured. I always crossed eyes from birth. Even now, when I take off my glasses, my right yeah. eye is still, it's still a little late, lazy. Yeah, you can see that. Yeah, I, I've had seven eye surgeries. Um, you know, a couple surgeries here, Lasix, that kind of thing. And my eye surgeon said, well, <clears throat> we, can, we can correct the, the, the cross, but if you continue practicing dentistry, it's going to cross again, and I won't be able to fix it a second time. So I was 45 years old at the time, Dennis, 20 years into practice, um, big house, lake house, bunch of cars, two kids in college, and poof, scorched earth. Mm. Well, I applied for disability insurance. Guess what? It was a pre-existing condition. Sure. Yep. So I went from Hollywood to zero. I sold my practice, sold my building, sold my equipment, and put my tail between my legs and kind of scooted and I rented a little two-office a little two office office space, two two room office space. Took my receptionist with me, and I I started a company called Homily Communications. <laughs> so, Paul, when you when you were practicing dentistry and yes. you, you were having success, uh, patients were uh, committed to, committing to treatment. Yes. So, a lot of that I would have to imagine um, as you were going through the, the Panky courses and stuff like that, and you were learning about comprehensive dentistry, that sort of gave you the idea, I would imagine, because I think for most dentists in dental school, we're, we're all about the little bits and pieces, right? How do you fix a tooth? How do you, right. you know, just sort of, and teaching up at Marquette for all the years that I have, this has been one of the biggest challenges is helping a young dentists, and problem that I had was see complete dentistry, right? Sure. And so very often in, uh, what, what I find with my, my young dentists is they want to go in and they want to fix a tooth. They want to, they want to solve a, a problem. And I think probably what you were able to do was see the big picture and then be able to communicate that to the patient to help them understand the big picture and then work from there to get the, the ideal treatment over, the, over time, over what, what the patient experienced. Is, is that accurate? 
Oh, that, that's absolutely accurate. You know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for young dentists to stay within their technical comfort zones. And if it's sure. treating one tooth at a time, that's fine. But, but that's no way to live. You know, give yourself some time to build up your hand speed, to build up your ability to work with a chair site assistant. They kind of get the feel of the flow of the financial aspects and the management aspects of the office. It's kind of, it's kind of tough, Dennis, to earn and learn at the same time. And that's so- a great, That's a great statement. That's a, yeah, a great way it, to put it. Yeah, it's true. And so young dentists, you need to kind of take it a step at a time to tell you the truth. But I'm telling you, after, after a couple of years, maybe two years of grinding, and that's what I call it, it just grind and fix them one tooth at a time. It's time. To, that's why I love the digital online training, Dennis. That's why when you and I started talking about this, I jumped right in because, see, what you're doing is that you're helping dentists, young dentists and mid-career dentists, go from that single tooth to, to think more in terms of complete dentistry. And, it, and it's, that, it, it's that evolution from tooth dentistry to complete dentistry is certainly facilitated by what you're teaching, with your technical training. But when you go from tooth dentistry to complete dentistry, that's when your behavioral skills, that's when your verbal skills really kick in. Because right. the, the greater the complexity of care that dentists seek to treat, the greater the demand on their leadership and their verbal skills, Dennis. They, they, they have to go together. So today's title for our program is called Case Acceptance for Complete Dentistry During the COVID-19 Era. Yes. And uh, Paul, before we go any further, I want to let our listeners or viewers, I guess viewers and listeners, uh, know that you have offered to spend some time with some free one-on-one -on -one consultations. We're going to talk about this at the end of the program, but for right. those, of you, of those who may have to leave, um, I want you to come back and make sure you listen through it so you can hear at the end some of the opportunities that Paul is going to make available to help with some coaching. And sort of to bring us back how you and I sort of connected then as we were talking is because I do some speaking, I wanted to get better at my speaking. And I remember seeing you and how you were talking about communicating with teams and with patients. And I knew you were doing this leadership training for dentists who wanted to also do speaking. That's right. But but what I found so interesting through our, our little workshop that we went through was not, was it just, it wasn't just valuable for if I wanted to present to a crowd of 10 or a hundred or 500, but how it was so important, the same dialogue for talking to my team members and for talking to my patients. It seems like it's a, it's a, it's sort of the same ball of wax, um, maybe just a little bit different manipulated, but it's the same information I think really goes for if we want to be talking to our team, our patients, or even to a large audience, yeah? Oh, absolutely, yes. You know, um, in, in dental school and in most dental continuing education dentists, and in, certainly in the literature, there's little or no emphasis on verbal skills. Oh, they'll talk about active listening or listening skills, but a lot of that just bounces off of practitioners. Because sure. especially early on, dentists are interested in, you know, what bird do I use and how hard do I how hard do I bend on the partial denture class before it breaks? Stuff like yep, that. For sure. Right? Absolutely. Yep. And so the verbal skills piece, I think, is something that dentists need to be ready for. Dental schools have enough on their plate without teaching that. And I don't hold them responsible for them teaching verbal skills or skills of influence because there's so much to learn. But as dentists get past that one or two year in that range, 
they need to begin to think about how do you make people feel yep. when, when you speak to them? You, you see, our focus in dental school is how do we educate people, right? Yes. Yes. But, but getting someone to feel, and, and, and that's all about influence, Dennis. And, and I'm not talking about sales techniques. I'm talking about giving people a sense that they'll be that they'll be well cared for. How do you do that? You don't do that by describing the proximal box on an MOD. You, you do that with, with good eye connection, with storytelling, with a smile. Yes. Right? You, you, you see what I'm saying? And, it, and it's that piece that I discovered, Dennis, in me after I had the eye disability. I couldn't practice dentistry. Right. It was, it was that piece. I said, you know what? I'm just going to roll the dice on something. Everybody was teaching occlusion and, you know, all that centric relation and anterior guidance, but nobody, nobody was teaching how to speak like a leader. No one was teaching chair-side manner, chair-side dialogues. And, uh, and so I, I poured a lot into that. Ultimately, I joined the National Speakers Association, National Storytellers Association, and after Five or six years, I earned the highest earned designation from a professional speaking organization called Certified Speaking Professional. Only dentists in the world to do that. Only That's one. Fantastic. Okay. So, so um, Paul, let me ask, can I ask you a question? So, sure. The, I, so, as, as a, I've been practicing for 30 some years, right? Um, what you brought up that I think so many dentists are challenged, the majority for sure is this connection of making, uh, making the connection with patients. Was that something that was intuitive to you? Like is that from maybe your upbringing or did you have to learn that? How did you, how did you learn or how is it that you were able to make the connections with patients? Where did that come from? It came from, I didn't want to be poor anymore, Dennis. That's, that's, exactly, <laughs> that, that's exactly where it came from. You know, my dad had an eighth grade education. He was a simple carpenter. My mom worked at Mario's Hamburgers. We had four kids, a little, you know, west side of Chicago, living in a little 900 square foot home, yep. you know, yep. and, and I didn't know we were poor until I went to high school and all the kids were wearing Levi's. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I, I, same story. This you is remember so that? Well, my, my dad also, eighth grade education, my mom um, didn't also didn't finish high school. And uh, I remember going to school and people were in Levi's and I wanted Levi's and we couldn't afford to have Levi jeans. And we that, couldn't that's have absolutely true. They were like $4, you know, at the time, <laughs> white Levi's. So when, when I graduated dental school, when I graduated dental school, I said, hell with this living poor stuff. So when I went into practice, but to tell you the truth, Dennis, I, I wanted to make some money. I was, you know, I was sick of driving bad cars mm -hmm. and, and living in crappy places. They weren't crappy. They just, come on. I wanted yep. something nice. You wanted something more. And that's I wanted why something more. And so I, I, I borrowed the money, went to Panky, went to Dawson. They came back and I started educating, educating, educating these patients. And yeah, I sold some dentistry dentists, but, but, for too many patients, it went one ear and right out there. They go, well, Doc, I want to go home and think about it. And right. I'm going, hell, you're not going home to think about it. You're going home to drink about it. And, <laughs> and, 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 and what it was, Dennis, I just got to the point. This is about maybe, I don't know, I'm in practice about seven, eight, nine years now. And I'm doing nice cases and I'm doing implants. But Dennis, 
there were too many people who were walking out my office who I knew I could help. And my dental assistants would say to me, I had a dental assistant named Suzette. She would say, Dr. Homley, you're, 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 you're selling too much. You're overeducating and you're, you just need to calm down. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to listen to you. You right. know, I'm, yeah. I'm the one that's going to Panky. Right. You know, I'm C4 at Panky. Who in the hell are you to tell? Well, I finally sucked it up. And um, one day, I don't know, Dennis, if it was one day, if it was over a period of time, but I went from doing a serious, you know, interview, have you had diphtheria yeah. and sure. tell me about how sure. often do you brush and all that right. real regimented stuff that I yeah. learned at Panky, I learned at Dawson. Sure. Right? Yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong. It just wasn't working for me. I. I have a similar experience. I want to share this with you because this is so funny. I, I was influenced by Frank Spear when I was a very young dentist. Good man. And, Frank's you know, a good man. Yes. Fantastic teacher. He's uh, just my, my favorite teacher. And I went out to Spear courses. This is before the Spear Institute. So this is many, many years ago. So I was highly influenced by Spear. And I started doing dental photography, started taking photographs of my patient's teeth. And I just remember this one situation. So I had a very, very small office on the west side of Chicago. And we had... Uh, two treatment rooms and they were very small treatment rooms, but now I'm, I'm now starting to present treatment to patients. And so what I would do is I'd bring in my slide projectors and I'd have two oh. slide projectors going. Oh. I'd have the patient, this is great, this is great. I'd have the patient sitting in the chair, no. we had white walls and I would project in front of him. And, and, I, and I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna educate this person. They're gonna want this treatment. And I, and I remember, and they, it's exactly what you said, doc, sounds great. Let me think about it. And then they would leave and I wouldn't see them again. And that happened time and time and time again. And like you, I had to learn that it isn't about educating the patient about the disease. It's me getting educated about what they want. Yes. Yes. What they're looking for. So, so sorry, I had to share that because as you're telling these stories, Paul, I swear, I, and I have to believe that most dentists out there have gone through some similar experience. The question is, when do you keep bumping into that wall and realize that wall's not moving and you have to sort of redirect yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. It's at some point you just need to kind of just, just take a big dose of common sense. Jim Pride, you remember Jim Pride from sure, Pride yeah. Student. Jim and I were buddies and I taught with Jim, Gordon Christensen. I did that for a couple of years before Jim died. And Jim had this saying, he said, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. <laughs> it, the, first, the first time I heard that, I about fell off my chair. It's true. I, I, and and let's, let's go right to this concept of complete dentistry. There is a lot of really well-educated dentists now, far more dentists than when you and I were young. No because, doubt about it. Because now we've got multiple international teaching institutes, plus we've got online training. It, you know, technical information is abundant now. It wasn't like that back in the late 70s and early 80s. You had to be a real gunner in yep. order to really get the information. You had to grovel to yep. get it, right? Yep. You get on airplanes and all that. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to Panky graduates, Dawson graduates, Frank Spears graduates, LVI graduates. I, I would talk to them and they got all the AAA equipment and they're broke or close to broke. Yep. Or maybe yep. they're not financially broke, but they're spiritually depleted because they've tried their best 
to provide complete care, but it just didn't work. And, and the problem was, and it took me a few years to figure this one out. The problem was, is they were presenting care like they were taught by the gurus. You see, LD, most of his practice was treating other dentists. Same thing with Frank Spear. Same thing with John Coyce. And I love these guys. Same thing with Peter Dawson. And, and Peter Dawson built this international reputation. And hell, some woman from, from Brazil would get on a jet and fly to St. Petersburg. Well, hell, that woman's ready for care. She's expected. Yeah. At the time, I couldn't get the lady from across the street. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I completely agree and empathize, uh, uh, empathize with that. I, yeah. I totally agree. So I just, I, I at one point said, you know what? It works for them. It isn't working in my little town in Hildebrand, North Carolina. I'm just going to change something. So here's what I did, Dennis. I stopped trying to educate people. I, I stopped trying to impress everybody with how much I knew. And I took time to understand why they wanted their teeth fixed and how it had to fit into their life. Hmm. And how, it was novel. Just, how novel. It, how novel. Now you look at it and say, well, oh, that's really genius. Back then it was, nobody was teaching. And I just, right. I just, I didn't want to be poor anymore. <laughs> well, Paul, I don't, I don't think a lot of people are teaching that. I think that most dentists are still trained to oh, yeah. educate the patient, right? That's right. Still using dental vernacular, right? Talking about papilla, talking about sulcus depth. Right. I mean, it's um, I think as much coaching uh, as we do, I think there's still so many people, some so many dentists out there that are still trying to educate their patient into doing treatment. You know, how Dennis, did you, what was your resources? How, how did you learn to do this? Well, you know, part of part of it is that, you know, while I was in my really in my sweet spot in my career, I was also developing my leadership capabilities. I had joined the National Speakers Association. Oh. I, I was an alumni of the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm. And as I would get outside of dentistry and I would listen to other people, I realized that educating someone and influencing someone are completely two different things. See, in dental school, Dennis, I learned, and you learned it too, that if you educate someone, that's the same as influence. Patient education. Who right. could argue with patient education? Well, I can. I can. Can you, can you give us an example of like what's the difference between educating and influencing? Give, give us a, an example of the difference. Yeah, the difference would be, okay, Dennis, you're my new patient. Okay, let me do a typical new patient the way I used to do it. Many dentists do it now. Well, Dennis, now that I'm looking at your x-rays, you've got, uh, I can see that you've got what we call periodontal pocketing. Uh, when the hygienist was doing your exam, she called out those numbers. You remember hearing four, five, six. Well, any number over two means that you've got inflammatory degenerative processes. Oh, I'm already falling asleep. Right, right. <laughs> All right, now this is the way that I would do it now. I would do it now. I would say, Dennis, you know, I understand that you're not happy with the appearance of your front teeth, but before we start talking about how to fix it, tell me, you know, it's been a while since you've been to the dentist. Uh, what makes having your front teeth look better What's going on now that makes that important for you? Wow, what a, what a whole different mindset, right? You're bringing the patient into the conversation. You want to learn from the patient. Absolutely. And the patient would say, well, you know, and you'll catch a patient by surprise when you do that. Yeah. Yep. The patient says, well, 
it's my daughter. She's getting married and she's our only daughter and we're all excited about it. So as soon as she starts talking about her daughter, you know what I do? I start talking about my daughter. Oh, my daughter got married too, you know? Uh, it was only slightly less expensive than building an Indy racing car. And the patients, <laughs> <laughs> and the patients would laugh. Right. And, and, and the patients, and so what I would do, Dennis, is I learned to reveal who I was beyond my dentist role. I would talk about my mom. I would talk about my kids, mm -hmm. right? And, and when I did that, patients would talk about their kids and their families. And it, and it sounds like a lot of dentists, especially the no-neck dentists that are really grinders that just want to educate, 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 right. they'll see that as mindless chit-chat. Uh-uh. Right. No way. In that those conversations where patients are revealing why they want to get their teeth fixed, and, and in those conversations, you realize when they want to get it done, if you just ask the right questions and listen. So, and, and you and I are going to get into some role-playing um, further on in our share meetings that we're going to have here. But really, Dennis, it, the, the foundational push that took me off of the traditional patient education model was through my education outside of dentistry and looking at what are other industries doing, especially the, the profession of leadership. What do leaders do? Leaders do a couple things, Dennis. Number one, they give their followers a sense of destination. Oh. Number two, they provide followers with resources to get where they're going. And here's the big one. The third one is that leaders provide their listeners with confidence to advance in the direction of their best interest. And it was that confidence piece that was missing. Educating a patient can oftentimes overwhelm patients. Yes. You don't give them confidence. You take confidence from them. They don't yeah. understand yeah. all of this stuff. Centric relation, internal pterygoid. You know, right. Come on. Right. <laughs> so, so if I heard that right, the three parts of the leadership is give the, set the destination right? So say it as a patient with TMJ problems, right? So you're going to set right. the de destination. We're going to get you out of pain. We're going to get you so that you're comfortable, right? So that's, that's the end point. That's the goal. I actually would take it emotionally deeper than that. Oh, I would certainly, certainly getting out of the pain. That's a clinical outcome, but I would look at a lifestyle outcome. Okay. I would say, Dennis, you know, I know this jaw joint has been a real hassle for you. Let's work. So the next time you're, you're together with your family, you're not thinking about your jaw. You're just thinking about having some fun. No, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's you, great. You, you see, you take it to a more personal level, okay? So that's destination. I know we'll talk about that when we get into like four chiefs and stuff like that and uh, in one right. of our future conversations, but that's very helpful. So then we, so we're, we have this destination, right? And this is going to be lifestyle. This is going to be something that, they, that they're going to have part of their day-to-day. -day that that's can, right. That's, it's more emotional content, right? That's right. You'll look great at your daughter's wedding. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about the tools, how we're going to get there. So give me a sense. Like, so um, what would be some of these tools to help the... It, it, would, be, it, would, it would be resources. And, and the resources would be, you know, Dennis, I want you to know that dentistry of this nature can be time-consuming. Dentistry of this nature is complex. In order for us to do this together, you're going to need to spend some time here. Um, I can assure you, you'll be safe. You'll be comfortable during all these procedures, probably the most important thing that you'll have around you is my team. 
Every one of these team members is highly trained. And what they'll do for you, a lot of it you won't even notice. And that's the goal. We want you to be safe. We want you to be comfortable. And that, that then leads into that confidence, right? That they, they feel confident that they're going to go through this and have the positive experience at the end. They're going to get that emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me ask that, you. That's fantastic. Let, let me ask you a question, Dennis. You know, of all the patients you've done rehabilitative dentistry on, have the majority been men or women? Uh, women, for sure. I do a lot of teenagers also, and most okay. of the teenage patients I see are probably girls, though I do see a fair amount of boys also. Okay. Yeah. My experience is I treated probably 70% more women than I did men. Yeah. And one thing I learned from John Gray, remember author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are Venus, sure. remember that guy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he and I did some video work together, okay? That can be a sidebar conversation. That All was right. a tremendous experience. And John gave me a hint uh, about dealing with female patients. John said this, no woman, no woman likes to see another woman mistreated. And I remember the times where I was sitting in a chair and I have a patient in a chair and I have a couple of dental assistants and I call for an instrument and the instrument was in the room and I get pissed off or something. And, and, and then I get a kind of an attitude with a tone of voice and it, you know, you can see the hair on a girl's necks bristle. And, you know, I, I, I stopped doing that. And what I started to do is praise them. Mm -hmm. And I would tell the patient, I said, see all this you've got around you. We'd have the pulse oximeter machines and the EKGs and all sure. this stuff. I said, don't let any of this stuff scare you. Suzette, my assistant, Lisa, my assistant, these are pros. Lisa just came. She was a surgical assistant at the hospital. She's done heart surgery. Certainly she can help you. Oh, that's fantastic. So I, I, I learned to brag on my team. Absolutely. Yep. I don't think enough dentists realize, you know, as part of being a leader um, in the team is to build up those around you, right? And I think this is so critical for having the patients see that we are, we, are, um, we are a team and we need everyone on that team to partner with us to be able to bring great results to our patients. That's, yeah, that's really great that you share that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And young dentists have a hard time doing that because they're still struggling with their own identity, especially young women dentists. Oh. Young women dentists, um, I, I, hey, don't get me wrong, I love them, I do, but there's some serious confidence issues that, it's almost like too many of them want to kind of compete in a man's world type of thing. And a young female dentist oftentimes can be mistaken for a chairside assistant. For sure. Yep. Or and a hygienist. So it's, for a, or for a hygienist. It's even more important for them to be able to speak with confidence, to make good eye connection, to be able to tell stories, to be able to un listen and understand. And women are natural at collaboration. They're sure. natural. Yeah. So, uh, all right, good. So I, I have a question, Paul. So sort of um, deviating a little bit. Uh, okay. I've been, in, I've been in some of your presentations and one of the things that you do that's really cool is you have an app and you'll ask dentist questions during the presentation. Right. And I know, I know that you have taken a, you've gotten data and some metrics on how many dentists actually present comprehensive care or complex or not, not complex but comprehensive care complete care complete care yeah right and because i think this is especially and you can talk about this related to covid uh right now so tell me what you find about patients about dentists presenting comprehensive care and then tell me about maybe why they aren't doing it and then let's talk about how they can start doing that better okay 
Yeah, the, the app you mentioned, you know, when I would do live lectures, I would have uh, an app and I could ask the audience questions and they would respond on their smartphone. And the outcome of their answers would appear on the screen in terms of bar graphs and percentages. Right. And I would ask questions about, you know, different things. But one of the questions, Dennis, that I would ask is, how many of you are reluctant to offer complete care out of fear of overwhelming patients or losing them from sticker shock? Mm -hmm. Over 70%. Dennis, I'm talking about a decade worth of polls, thousands yep. of dentists, over 70% admit. And that's that, a key word, admit. Admit that they're not, they're not offering complete care out of fear of overwhelming patients. That's an education thing, Dennis. Okay. Yep. They're, yep. The fear of overwhelming patients or losing them from sticker shock. So they find themselves in this, this really uncomfortable dilemma. If they, if they offer complete care and it blows the patient out of the water, what's the patient going to do? They're going to leave forever. Plus they'll tell right. all their friends what a jerk the dentist is. Yes. If they don't offer complete care, Fundamentally, they're violating dental ethics and practicing below the standard of care. Would you agree with that, Dennis? I do agree, yes. And, and so it's kind of they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Right. And, 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 and so the, 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 fact, the fact is, is that clearly most dentists don't offer complete care. And let me make a distinction here. Complete care does not necessarily mean complex care. Complete care for a young patient might be a cleaning and a couple of fillings. Right. That's yeah. complete, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Complex for another patient might be sagittal split osteotomy, bone grafts, implants, and, you know, the whole nine yards. Right. And so complete care, and you know the definition, it's the oldest definition in the world. Complete care is the minimum amount of dentistry required to restore patients to optimal function, comfort, aesthetics, phonetics, and in the last 10 years, airway. Yeah. Right. True. Yes. And, and so that definition then becomes situational based on the patient's conditions. So some patients complete care is very simple. Some it's very complex, but it's that complex care patient that would benefit most from complete care. And so that's where that's, especially in the last 10 years, Dennis, where we've got, I mean, come on. I mean, I, I think about, guided surgeries, 3D imaging. My For God, sure. we, we were working with x-rays that we were developing in dip tanks sure. and, dip and, tanks hold them, and, and holding them up to the windows to try to find the mandibular yeah. nerve before we would drill into the bone. Now, yes. <laughs> you remember yep. that? Now you have navigation. Now you have computer navigation. You get navigation. And I, you know, I would be, when I practiced in Charlotte, I did a lot of work with the Serona Corporation and I'm in their showroom and I'm on their 3D image and I'm, I'm, I'm taking implants and I'm clicking and I'm dragging them into the 3D images. I'm thinking, oh my God, yeah. if I had this, oh, right. if I had that, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So when, when you're talking about complete care, you know, I, for me, a big turning point for me when I was struggling with this, this issue that we're, just, that we're talking about now, I, when I was a younger dentist, I wanted the, tr the patient to have the treatment more than the patient wanted to have the treatment. <laughs> and and, and, I, and uh, for some reason, a, a switch just turned on me. And all of a sudden, I started saying, I can't want it more than the patient. Right. right? And, and that really turned for me. And then that made it more open for me. I now I became more open to sharing with the patient 
treatment without judgment, without having to worry if they decided not to do the treatment that we were recommending to be comprehensive in our care, right? right. Because ultimately it's, a, and I tell the patients today, I say, look, this is your mouth. This is your money, right? This is your experience. You tell me, we're going to share with you what we are seeing, and then you'll help us determine what's going to be right for you. So, so walk us through how you train your dentist to, um, to have these conversations with patients. Wow. And, and you know, in this, and, and I think we need to do this in context with COVID-19 right now. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Thank you for raising that. Yeah, I, I think we need to do it in context. Um, let me kind of let me kind of take you through kind of a, a thought process here. Um, number one, and, and we've already stated this: most dentists aren't recommending complete care. Seventy percent plus aren't. And the issues are oh, patient overwhelm. The issue is losing patients from sticker shock. Plus, dentists. And here's here's the big third one. The big third reason why dentists don't offer complete care is they don't know what to tell patients. They don't know what to say to patients when the patient says no. <laughs> right. right. Yes. You know, I'd agree when, with that. Yeah. When the patient says no, you see, if the doctor is, if the doctor uses patient education as the influencing tool, educate, educate, show the slides, go through the whole thing. Doc says, so what do you think? Patient says, well, I, I'm doc. I want to go home and think about it. So if, if the only tool of influence is educate, then the temptation would be to educate more. Yeah, well, Dennis, you don't understand. It's really important that you do this, you do this. And so you just keep on kind of beating the same drum. Tell me, Dennis, what, what do patients, how do patients react when they feel overeducated? What, what do they do? You know, I, I think there's a couple of different ways. One, um, they can get angry, right? They, they yes. Start, right? They can start getting mad because like, I've already heard it. You've already told that to me, right? I'm not stupid. Right? That's right. And then the other is that they'll just shut down and they'll just sort of like nod and they'll be thinking about what they need to get done later on in the day. And they just sort of nod and pretend that they're actually involved in the conversation. Right. They stop listening. What happens is the outcome is that oftentimes educating patients who aren't ready for care, over-educate. I'm talking about over-educating them now. Yep. Mm -hmm. Over-educating patients who aren't ready for care ultimately feels like sales pressure, doesn't it, Dennis? It absolutely does. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so what if the dentist doesn't use education to motivate their patients what if what and, you know in the last 25 years we've had we've had more than our share of salespeople that come in and out of dentistry they never sold 10 cents worth of dentistry in their life dentist and they come in and they're the big sales pro and they're going to tell us how to sell dentistry i can't stand these people right. and they'll I they'll agree. say they'll say things like this um so I, let's say i present a bunch of dentistry to you and you say well i want to go home and think about it and I said, well, you know, Dennis, there is a specific thing that you're concerned about. Is it the money? Well, yeah, it's more expensive. And I thought, well, Dennis, you know, if you delay this treatment, it's only going to be more expensive for you in the future. Right. And when you think about it, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to go ahead and save that money now? Right. And, and that's just sleazy and greasy and nasty. Very manipulative. It's a very it's manipulative way. A manipulative way. And Dennis, we aren't any good at it. And I would right. say to anybody listening, if you're using sales techniques, stop it. Well, there's a third way. There's a third way of talking to patients. And this is what I call the leadership way. Okay. Yeah. Now, leaders always keep in mind the destination. What is the destination? 
The destination is helping patients advance in the direction of their best interest. And Dennis, sometimes getting their teeth fixed is not their next best step in their life. Right. It might be saving money. It might be getting off of alcohol. It might be losing 50 pounds. It might be fixing their marriage. It might be retiring debt or paying back taxes, right? There's a lot of really good reasons why people who want care don't get it. And it has nothing to do with them not understanding why they need it. Hell, you, you showed them the pictures. They're not stupid, right? Right. right. And so, so with those three ways in mind, let, let me take you through a... A, a process with, with COVID-19 in mind. So number one, we know dentists aren't presenting care. Number Correct. two, number two, there is very strong legitimate evidence that oral conditions can exacerbate systemic conditions. Right, we should all be aware of that. I'll be aware of that. Okay, so here's the scenario, COVID-19, okay? So you get a new patient on the books. Um, I would recommend that you do a teledentistry uh, interview with that patient. Okay. You do a zoom call like we're doing right now. You're the patient dentist. Yep. Okay. And so, well, Dennis, I see you're on our appointment book for next week. You know, I'm having this call because of, well, you know how it is Dennis with the epidemic. We want to make sure you're safe and sound. You know, you've already received um, your medical history and your dental history evaluation. I have that information in front of me. And, and we'll review that when you're in your office. But the big reason for this call, Dennis, is that I want to assure you that you'll be safe and you'll be comfortable during your dental procedure. Now, what's important for you to know is that there are dental conditions that will contribute to pre-existing conditions. They'll, they'll, they, they can create inflammation in the body. And as you know, as you've heard on television, COVID-19 is very opportunistic for patients with pre-existing conditions. Dennis, during your exam, we are going to look for all conditions in your mouth. And I'm going to recommend treatment for all the conditions in your mouth for the very reasons that I just said. Now, there may be some conditions that you're not concerned about, that you choose not to treat. And that's your choice. But I want you to know, Dennis, I don't have a choice. The bar is set much higher for me. So I want to welcome you to the practice, expect a very thorough exam, expect us to maybe talk to you about conditions you haven't seen or haven't heard about before, but we want you to know that that is the new standard of care that we're following. I think what's really uh, great, because it allows you to get into airway conversations, right? You've already sort of set the table if you're seeing patients with erosion or they're grinding or whatever. Right, right. And I'll tell you one other thing I was thinking of, and one, because um, I just had a new patient to practice, and I, not, I did not do this. And one of the challenges, the first time I'm meeting my new patient, I have my mask on, and they can't see my face. That's right. And I think that would be something additional to, uh, that I will use, because I'm going to start using this. I have someone on the book I know on Tuesday. Right. Uh, but I will also say, I want you to see my face because as now with our COVID era, I'm not That's allowed right. to take off my mask. That's so right. I want you to see who I am. So you feel, you know, to help you be more comfortable as you come into our practice. Yeah, and, and absolutely. Yes. And, and, you know, with the technology that we have now, like we're using right now, um, 
and even 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 if the patient doesn't have access to Zoom like this, you can do a FaceTime on the phone, right? Yeah. And 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 if that doesn't work, if that doesn't, if you don't have the technology there, well, then you're kind of back to you know face to face. But I would start the new patient procedure not with examination, x-rays, or tour of the office, or any of that stuff. I would start with the conversation that the bar has been hired. Yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. Yeah, absolutely, yes. So now, yeah. now that ask, before you sure. jump into that, can I ask you one question? Um, Please. For, for dentists who are challenged to slow down and listen, because I think this is, this is a real issue, right? Um, as you're going through this process of learning to connect with patients, what advice do you have for dentists to, to actually listen to their patients? Yeah, they need to redefine listening. Listening is simply not waiting for your turn to talk. And, 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 and dentists oftentimes mistake their, they think they're leading just because people do what they say he should do. That, you know, that's bossing. That's not leadership. The communication research, Dennis, is overwhelming with, with, with facts on, on listener efficiency in, in normal educated adults. It's about 25 to 30% efficient. When, when I say efficient, it means they can recall something that you've said in a, in a relatively short period of time. So listening skills, again, what training did you get in listening skills in dental school? None. None. You know, when you took your Academy of General Dentistry Fellowship exam, how many questions were there on behavior competencies and leadership capabilities? None, right? Masterships, right? All the, you know, the, the certifications, and I'm not against AGD. I love it. I'm a fellow in the AGD. I, I'm just saying there's so much more to the, to the practice of dentistry than the technical or this, you know, people say, well, dentistry is an art and a science. Well, it's also a behavioral competency. And that's where we drop the ball, Dennis. That's great. That's a great point that you raise. And, it's, and quite honestly, I've never heard someone put that in there, the art, the science, and the behavioral aspect. You're that's actually right. right about that. Absolutely yeah. right. And, and, and that's a big reason why you and I are together, Dennis, because look, you're doing the art and science side of this thing. And right. plus you have strong behavioral competencies my contribution here is going to be the behavioral and the procedural competencies to give patients the confidence to get their teeth fixed when they're ready. And most complex care patients, as you know, Dennis, aren't going to be ready the first time they hear their treatment plan. Oftentimes, that's, that's so they, true. they may take a month or a year or more to get ready. But what, what I'd like to be able to teach in, in our time together, Dennis, as you and I go forward in our relationship is that I just want to give dentists confidence that don't set the bar unrealistically high for case acceptance for complex care. What, what I'd like for you to think about is being able to present dentistry in such a way that even though patients aren't ready, they'll never forget how well you offered it. And, and when they become ready, they're going to come back to you. And when they come back to you, Okay, Dennis, so we did an exam on a patient a year ago, and we've seen her maybe on a couple of recalls, and it's, yes, but I'm not ready, I'm not ready. One day, she walks into the office, she's waving the brochure on laminate veneers, and she says, I'm ready. Let me ask you this question, Dennis. How much patient education does she need? <laughs> not a bit. 
Not, uh, very little, very little, right? Very little. You see, and, and what that does, it really showcases what is the value of patient education. All right, let, let me address this. You see, we learned that patient education is about influence. It isn't. Patient education is about two things, Dennis. Number one, it's about prevention. People need to know how to take care of themselves, right? Yeah. So we're going to educate them on plaque and fluoride and floss and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So prevention. The second reason for patient education is consent. Right. They, they need to know the benefits, risks, and alternatives to care, yes. okay? Now, that's, that's the role of patient education. The role of influence is to give people a sense that they'll be safe and comfortable, to give people a sense that we understand them, to give people a sense that we're happy to approach dentistry when they are ready. You said it earlier, Dennis. You said it earlier that you, you, you wanted it more than they do, right? Sure. Yep. And, and so what, I, what I've done with my, with my process is I've separated patient education from, from influence. Most dentists, when they present care, what do they do? They say, they educate to the, here's how we're going to do it. And here's step one, step two, step three. Yep. Oh, by the way, here's, here's the consent issues. Here's the benefits, risk, and alternative. Here's treatment plan number one, treatment plan number two, treatment plan number three. And all that gets to be very confusing for the patients. Absolutely. What I do is I take the education component out to begin with. I start with influence. So tell me, Dennis, you know, you've been away from the dentist for a while. Why, why is getting your teeth important for you now? Getting your teeth fixed important for you now? Yep. You see, I want to give you the experience of being understood. And then after we have developed trusting relationship and you've indicated that care is appropriate for you, time and money and all those hassles. Yep. And, and once we're okay with you understanding the outcome of your care and the processes to get there, then I'll sit down with you and say, well, Dennis, uh, I look forward to treating you. Um, I want you to understand, though, that I am required by dental ethics and, and by law that you understand the benefits, risks, and alternatives to care. Then I would educate. And that's the consent process. But I separate the two. And boy, I've helped hundreds and hundreds of dentists separate those two conversations. And when you do, Patients aren't overwhelmed. <laughs> right, right. Paul, you, you have a great analogy. If a dentist uh, or if a real estate agent was a dentist, how they would sell a house. <laughs> could, could you share that? Because I think, I, I think people can appreciate this and maybe they can then direct it into maybe how they're talking to their patients. Yeah. Well, well, sure. But let's say you get a dentist that, that had a, you know, kind of an okay career. And, and he believed educate, 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 you know, start with the perio, you know, educate to the perio, soft tissues, hard tissues, then we're going to do the endo, the whole cascade of treatment plan, right? And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just having a little fun here, okay? Yep. And so, that, so the dentist had that kind of okay career. He leaves dentistry and starts selling real estate. Yep. Now he's a realtor. But he's going to sell homes the way he sold dentistry, okay? Right. So here you come, you're, you and your honey, you come in, you sit down with a realtor and your wife's all excited, Dennis. And she says, uh, oh, you know, we're ready to buy a house. We really like that neighborhood over by the lake. It's close to where my husband works and our children want to go to, and he stops, she goes, time out, wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't be talking about neighborhoods and playgrounds. No, 
Now, what you need to understand is that the most important thing about your house is the foundation, the foundation of the house. Now, there's three different types of foundations. There's cement slab, four foot crawl space, and full basement. There's two different types of full basements, poured concrete or cement block. There's six different types of cement blocks and three different types of cement block joints. This is a photo micrograph of a cement block joint. Now, <laughs> this is perfect. Now, now before, we, now, before we build your house, I'm going to want you to meet with my bricklayer and to make sure that you know how to keep your bricks clean before we build the house. How's that sound? That, right. that, so this is so true. And anyone who's been practicing dentistry, my goodness, if you can't see that in yourself, then you're fortunate because I, I boy, oh boy, I, I see, I, I absolutely remember me talking to patients like that. And oh. unfortunately, it still happens. Sometimes I fall into that. And, it's easy uh, to. It's easy to. Absolutely. We right? We want to educate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's a, that's a great analogy. And I loved you sharing that because uh, I think about that all the time. And that does help me sort of pull back if I feel like I'm starting yeah. to educate the patient instead of. And, and so how do, how, do the, how do the real pro realtors do it? Dennis, you come in with your honey, say we want to buy a house. Terrific. So, so tell me, where do your kids go to school now? Right? Tell me about the neighborhoods. You know, give me a sense of price range. You see, what they do is they talk about everything except the house. They talk about budget. They talk about lifestyle. They talk about family. They talk about life events. Dennis, we can do exactly the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. What we're doing is that we're not trying to sell the house. What we're trying to do is understand everything around the house. What is the budget? When is a good time? I'll say this to a patient after an exam and after I sense a good connection between us, Dennis, I would say, you know, Dennis, I feel really good about helping you getting more confident at work. I know that your work is important to you and you're spending more time in front of audiences. But let me tell you, work like this, dentistry like this is surprisingly expensive, surprisingly time consuming. I know I can help you when I'm not so sure about dentists whether this is the right time for you. Do you have the time? Do you have the budget? Help me understand, how do we fit this in for you? Is this something, Dennis, that you want to talk about now? Or maybe we wait till after the holidays, or maybe we do it a little bit. How do we fit this in for you, Dennis? Right? So now you're having a different conversation. You're having a conversation, Dennis, that the patient can participate in. Right. Because you're talking about things that they know. When, when I talk to a patient like this, well, I can understand why your back teeth are breaking down because as you bite together, I notice your masseters swell. Now, the, 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 the uh, temporalis muscles are the primary elevator of the mandible, and they should be the only contractile element during closure. If you have to use the masseters, then we know there's a centric relation, centric occlusion, disclusion that, bang! <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> It's so true. So uh, true. Paul, um, I, we're going to be wrapping it up for today. Um, oh, I'm having so much fun, Dennis. I know, but we have more. We're going to be talking oh, more. Okay. Okay. Be because we want to get into a deep dive into this information because okay. this is, again, as we talked about in the very beginning, we want dentists to be able to take this information and be able to use it in practice. I think that what you've shared with us, look, I, this is so valuable for me. I've heard this from you several times. And when I still hear it, uh, when I hear it again and again, I, it's, still, it's still empowering for me about how I need to, 
talk with my patients and even my teammates. Uh, right. So I, I can't thank you enough. It's uh, um, the, the, way you, the way you are able to share the information, um, it gives, gives us confidence. Like you talked about the three parts of the leadership. And the last right, part of getting that, that confidence, confidence piece, yes. Yeah, and I think uh, as you share this information, without question, I feel more confident as I'm going to be going back into the practice next week uh, just by hearing, hearing these things that, you, that you've shared with us. So I, I can't thank you enough. I think this is really invaluable. And I know that our listeners or watchers are going to really get tons and tons of critical information from this. So I'm really, really appreciative. Well, well you know, Dennis, uh, Chicago is my hometown. And I, and I got a lot of golf buddies that are still there, okay? Mm -hmm. And, and, and let, me make, let me make you a little promise here. After this coronavirus thing blows over or goes away, or when, when I feel safe, I get an airplane. Because I'm going to be going back... I'm due to go back to for a golf trip with my buddies up to Lake Geneva, uh, second weekend in September. Okay, right. if the coast is clear, Dennis, I'll swing by your office. I'll bring my scrubs. Fantastic. I'll bring well, my scrubs, and we'll have some fun together. Well, and maybe I'll go meet you in Lake Geneva because that's not so far. So that's, yeah, that's great. That's that's fun. Paul, before we go, I, I you're you're very generous in offering some time for uh, for the dental online trainers to have a little one on one with you. Yes. Uh, I, and I will tell you this, I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations with Paul. He's helped me. He's been doing some coaching for me. So Paul, tell us about how, uh, how our dental online trainers can reach out to you and sort of a little bit of what, what that would look like. Well, Dennis, you know, when, when you and I decided to partner up here, okay, um, I, I wanted to pull my weight. And I know I'm new to dental online training right now. And I want to you know, it's like a grand opening. I, I want to do, I, I want, I want to be able to provide immediate positive impact for your students who are really ready to get to another level. And, and they can listen to podcasts all the time. But Dennis, it, you know how easy it is for me just to have a, a 15 minute conversation with somebody. And so, you know, we've talked to some of the people that are in your backstage about putting stuff together. So I'm going to offer a, no fee, no consultation, no, no fee. This is free. Um, we're, going to, we're going to give you access to my calendar. And somebody can, you can make a 15-minute phone appointment with me. And, you know, if you, and just be prepared when you make the call, right? Don't, I'm not, don't tell me your life story because we only got 15, you got 15 minutes. minutes. You got 15 minutes. So have something specific in mind. And, um, and, and, and again, I, I'm doing this out of, out of a courtesy of getting a jump start into digital online training. Now, if you call me every day, oh, that's, that's a different story, okay? Sure. Don't right. call me every day. But right. I'm, I'm happy to do that, Dennis. And I think what will be interesting is that I'll keep track of these phone calls and I'll, I'll kind of create a log as far as what are the most commonly asked questions? Oh, and then maybe, fantastic. Dennis, you and I can kind of ping pong them back and forth. That sounds great. We'll put a we'll put a link on there for on on the uh, on the website. I'll have my IT guys get that going. So then anyone who's listening, they can just go to that link and then they can do some scheduling with Paul and have a little little one on one session and just be uh, be ready to start talking, Paul. I know you're you're someone who gets right at it, and so have your question ready and have Paul be ready to give you a, a helping hand. Uh, in yeah, your, yeah. Uh, have it ready, and if it gets to the point, Dennis, where I've got. A hundred calls a week. Well, then, then we're gonna 
change things. Figure some, we'll figure something else out. We'll, but we'll figure uh, something else out, but right. let's, get, let's get off to a good start. Absolutely. Well, Paul, I want to close and say thank you very much for, uh, for our listeners. Our next uh, meeting with Paul is going to be about case acceptance skills for the newer or less experienced dentist. Yes. Then the third meeting will be about for those dentists who are, say, more mid-career or more experienced, because as we've talked about, the mistakes that I made as a younger dentist, now I'm making sort of different mistakes as a mid-career or maybe later career dentist. Um, but I think, I think everyone will, will find the information that we're going to be talking about, about the new dentist and the communication skills and the case acceptance skills is going to, they're going to find this incredibly valuable. So tune in with us at the next meeting. Uh, Paul, I can't uh, thank you enough for being with us on our ShareCast and look forward to our next presentation together. You bet, Dennis. Bye now. Thanks, now.